You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Is there opportunity in this down market? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Here with us today is Tony Greer, editor of the Morning Navigator newsletter. Hi, Tony. Maggie, how are you today? I'm okay. How are you doing? Fabulous. Thank you. What's good? So you're you're probably one of the few people saying that, Tony, because it, it's been a it's been sort of a tough, you know, beginning of the week, end of last week, and we saw today stocks, bonds, oil, gold, all moving lower. What do you make of this market action? Man, it's a tug of war, isn't it? Right. I, I kind of see a tug of war every day between the recessionists and the inflationists, as we call them. You know, um, obviously, we had a, a massive headline last Thursday with Jerome Powell at Jackson Hole, where, you know, he basically uh, pledged to fight inflation um, that they see being around for an extended period of time. I forgot the exact words he used, but obviously that freaked out the market. The S&P took a big spill. Um, we got saved by the bell on Friday, um, treaded water yesterday, and then the S&P broke its last line of technical support today when it fell below the 50-day moving average. Um, now we're seeing some follow-through. But what we have been seeing is you know, the S&P kind of treading water and retracing. Uh, we saw a big catch-up move in natural resources towards the end of the month of August. Uh, as interest rates rose with that Powell comment. And it just looks like stocks are taking it on the chin because they're not going to be, um, you know, they're not going to be well suited going into this sort of economic slowdown with the Fed fighting inflation, moving rates higher. So, you know, it's going to be a tough slog for the S&P for sure if higher rates are on the agenda. So I think that's what we're seeing pan out in the markets this week. Yeah. And, and you had the you had some of the I think what worried people as well is you had some of the Fed official. I think I think it was Kashkari yesterday saying, yeah, we saw the market reaction. We were pretty happy with it. I mean, they're sort of telling you that asset, um, you know, risk assets and stocks are a, a casualty they're willing to tolerate in order to kind of burnish their, you know, inflation fighting credentials. Um, we, you know, we are in this last week of August. I don't know what you've seen in terms of volumes, but you know, the, the sell-off has been pretty orderly so far. Is there a risk that when we get people coming back and plugging back in in September that, um, you know, we have a, a sort of uglier push to the downside and, and break through those lows we saw? Yeah, absolutely. That's a risk, especially now that the next line of support in the S&P is probably that double bottom down at 3750 that we vaulted off of in June. 
Um, so with that being the low hanging fruit, that's probably what another five, four or five percent lower from here. Um, and then we'll see type of thing. Um, but I don't want to start calling too many moves in a row. I don't like to do that. I like to focus on the one that's happening right now. Right now, the S&P is breaking down below the 50 day. It's being led by um, <clears throat> it's being led by oil. You know, excuse me, all of the natural resources, trade, oil services, metals and mining on the downside. Um, technology is also getting beaten up today, just not as bad. You've got builders and retail. It's all in the red. So you've got the interest rate sensitive stocks falling and you've got natural resources stocks all pulling back from a dramatic high that they just made in, you know, there was the natural resources stocks, Maggie, if you recall, over the last several weeks that were holding the S&P together. Mm -hmm. um, while technology was sort of failing those retracements level retracement levels and coming apart. So right now they've got every sector on the run and we happen to be, you know, kind of back to backing this first bout with natural resources selling with, you know, this 5% sell off in crude oil from 98 to $92 doesn't seem like it's got a lot of oomph behind it in terms of you know, fundamental or headline firepower, you know, it seems to be going on, um, you know, the fumes of this Iraq headline, you know, there's going to be less trouble in Iraq and more of its oil is going to be available. And so maybe that's what took the last couple percent out of the price. But it seems to me like um, the moves that are going to be persistent, that have been consistent with higher dollar and higher rates are going to be higher commodities and probably lower equities led by tech stocks. And that's kind of what we're seeing pan out. Yeah. And, you know, Tony, I, I that's why we were kind of thinking about where are the opportunities or are there opportunities in this market? And we'll get to the timing of all of this because I think that's, you know, it's tricky. And, and as you say, we're in this really volatile period. But Warren Pies tweeted out something about that sort of supply and demand push and pull that we're seeing play out in the oil markets. And we thought this was really interesting. He said oil bears are arguing that Saudi statement last week and the flaring political risks in Iraq and Iran have saved the bulls. Remember, bullish things happen when spare capacity is thin. You know, the idea that you can just chalk up a couple of sort of um, not temporary, but you know, geopolitical headlines to the fact that we saw that move up that you were talking about in oil. Talk to me a little bit about what you think this range for oil looks like when you've got that underlying issue of very little capacity out there. Yeah. You know, I've been telling my clients, Maggie, that the, you know, one of two stories that I would not take my eye off, you know, as it relates to the energy market is one of which is Prince Abdulaziz comments. Um, I think they were at the beginning, very beginning of this week or late last week, where he said that, you know, he noticed that the paper markets were clearly separated from the physical markets right now, which were extremely tight. You know, he senses some sort of, not sure what words he uses, but manipulation, certainly of some sort, um, is what he seemed to lend himself to. And right from there, the oil markets took off. So it sounds like, you know, he may have fired a warning shot to whoever he decided might be, you know, uh, you know, selling paper oil futures just for the effect. Who is a candidate to do that? Certainly the administration is with, uh, you know, election pending in November, midterms pending in November, mm -hmm. and the gas price finally falling from five to four dollars. So he senses a little bit of chicanery. I think it's important to keep an eye on that. I think it's important to keep an eye on this week. Things like, you know, spreads have really bounced off of the lows 
that we saw last week when the calendar got deflated with oil on its lows. We're seeing it come barking back this week with the oil rally to the extent that front month um, WTI spread, Aknovi, uh, at one point yesterday tripled from, well, not in one day, but from its lows of around 30 cents, traded well above 90 cents in all of three or four sessions. So that speaks to the fact that the market remains tight and the fact that the calendar still is likely to widen out. And I think that likely the price is going to stay somewhere around here. You know, the market seems to be magnetized towards like 92 middle, you know, if you will, trading 88, 88, 96 kind of a range, if we can call it that for now. But it feels like it's just battling up against its moving averages and trying to take off again, if you ask me. So, you know, one one of the big tells, I think, Maggie, also in August was the fact that, you know, energy and natural resources stocks before today and there still should be positive, you know, were up in a month that the S&P got crushed, tech stocks got crushed. And the commodities complex held in tight. So I think that that's the underlying theme. And I'm very curious to see how that translates into tomorrow's month end closes, which are going to be really, really important. Yeah, I I just want to circle back and let's talk about that in a minute. I just want to circle back because I think it's so important that you brought that up. Um, We did see that comment. It was funny because it was in the midst of all the Fed headlines coming out and stuff. So I'm not sure everybody paid as much attention to it as they should have. But really interesting to hear you put some color around that, you know, the idea. And again, you know, it's speculation, but but clearly the idea that, you know, there are some people that might be playing in the market. You There was a U.S. consumer confidence number out today. It advanced to its highest level since May. And we all looked at that and thought, that's interesting when everyone's really worried about recession. Why is that? Because Americans are growing more optimistic about the economy amid falling gas prices. That, that, that gas price is so critical to you know, consumer expectations. Uh, so you can see that kind of connection back through the thread you're talking about. So that I mean, really, I'm, really great that, to highlight that. That's unfortunate to hear because I don't think that gas prices are going to fall very much further. So, you know, consumer confidence may be a sale up here, um, you know, in the 103 area or something like that. But, you know, we, we continue to see tight markets. We continue to see diesel prices, you know, upward pressure and tightness in diesel prices, You know, we've got the main event, as I've been calling it, panning out across the pond with European electricity prices gone wild, um, driven by their natural gas prices gone wild, driven by their energy policy gone wild. So we're going to see, you know, what breaks here, um, you know, likely in the coming months. The story is that they have got enough storage uh, or at least they're at 80 or 85 percent capacity and have enough storage for this winter. Um, I still believe that they're beholden to all kinds of upside risk, including Putin risk, Mother Nature risk, and just general things going wrong risk. So, you know, we'll see how that pans out and what the energy does, what the energy market does to follow. But so far, we've got a pretty good cap in natural gas at $10 and it hasn't been able to break through there. So my sense is if it doesn't get scooting through there quickly on some kind of a headline, that the next big move in natural gas might be down from here, but we'll see. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
Tony, so for oil, like if we're if we've got that that capacity issue, you know, that is basically not a, no investment, that kind of structural problem with very very spare capacity, really no margin for error. Do are you do you, do you buy oil or are you long oil or no you can't because of the threat of depression? Uh, depression. Gosh, I hope it's not that recession. Keeping a lid on oil is it just keep the keep the range in and then you can't be super bullish on oil because of that the potential of a looming recession and the Fed. Yeah, you know, you, you have to understand that as an oil bull, which is the camp that I'm in and have been in for two years plus now, um, you know, it's going to be a battle through several things on the upside. You know, the, your, your, your risk is obviously a much slower economy. You know, your risk is any pivot in um, any pivot in policy, you know, out of the administration, which doesn't seem likely, but it's certainly a risk that's out, a non-zero probability. Um and things like that. So, you know, with your eye, you know, sort of on those risks, but then seeing how the administration tends to double down and the establishment in Europe tends to double down on the things that they've been pushing, despite the damage that they're causing, you know, that that's where you start to see, you know, you start to make connections to what happened during lockdown. You know, during lockdown, we saw all the restaurants closing, et cetera, et cetera, because they have no cash flow. Now, during all of these restrictive energy policies, excuse me, the restrictive energy policies causing electricity prices to go berserk. Now you're seeing small mom and pop shops forcing to close. You know, you're seeing stories on Twitter about the bakery whose um, electricity bill went from twelve thousand to sixty thousand dollars over the course of a month, you know, and something that, you know, is literally a we have to shut down type of scenario. So, you know, you wonder what's going to break here, but we're certainly getting closer to where the rubber meets the road in terms of something has to give in terms of, the of um, you know, the ESG and the sort of Davos crowd energy policy that's being pushed really hard. At least yeah. it's met with some resistance finally. So we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Andreas uh, Stenel Larson sat down with Mark Nelson to discuss, the, I mean, the electricity, the, the charts of the electricity prices in Europe are really hard to wrap your head around when you see them. I think somebody was saying it looks like, you know, the the the, the craziest risk asset you've ever seen if it's and um I had a friend in from Ger we had a friend visiting from Germany and we were talking to them about their real concern about, you know, what's coming this winter and people just struggling to to pay those electric bills. Um so Andreas sat down with Mark Nelson to talk about all that um and what the continent is going to have to face and they talked about you know the changing sentiment around nuclear very interesting let's have a listen to a clip from that part of the pain of this energy crisis is going to get people to figure out which of their fears and which of their concerns don't matter for feeding you yourself and heating your family and having warm showers and things like that and which of your concerns are relevant and they're that will be in the favor of nuclear obviously that's all the, the why we're seeing the polls move in that direction from germany to britain to uh, Japan, the poles are moving in the correct direction. Then you need a program. What's a program? Well, in the UAE, again, they spent a few years getting set up to do a, do a good bidding process. They did a bidding process, chose a winner, and soon that winner started uh, digging and building. The official start was about, I think, 2012. And then they had their first reactor come online, I believe it was uh, 2019. So what is that? Oh, sorry, I guess it was 2020 for the official start. So 2020, you get a unit come on. Nice. 2021, you get another. 
2022, we're gonna get another. 2023, we're gonna get another. So was it eight years to build? And we think of four reactors, was that eight years? So what, you know, like maybe 32 years? No, it was eight years for one, nine years for two, 10 years for three, and, and 11 years for four. And at that point, it's a quarter of their energy supply, of their electricity supply, rather. Mm. That's, that's a program. Mm. Just shows you nuclear maybe is just, if people can come along and just wreck it, maybe that's not great. But the other energy sources are not doing so hot. I think that's the big thing here. And that entire interview is available on our website. Really fascinating discussion. And Tony, this is, I mean, uh, you know, the stakes could not be higher for Europe right now. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't be higher. The uranium trade is an interesting one. I, I enjoyed that clip, Maggie. I think that it's it's uh, it's fun to watch the ESG fade trade. Um, you know, uranium tends to come to life when you see, you know, in German electricity prices go to $1,000 per, uh, excuse me, 1,000 euro per million BTU over there. Um, we saw Cameco report a really strong quarter at the beginning of the month that kind of got the sector rolling. And now we're breaking through moving average resistance in the URA ETF. And it looks like it wants to take off again. So as you know, a fossil fuel bull, I've got to understand that there is another, you know, at least another sheriff in town out there. It yeah. seems like it would take a literal I mean, it seems like it would take the lobby group the size of the U.S. pharmaceutical lobby to get, you know, people to go to become acceptant toward nuclear power again, um, even though that we've proven out how much safer it's become over the years it's, and how reliable it is, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's the kind of ace in the hole that the European leaders can finally play. Um, you know, when the rubber really hits the road and, and more shops start closing and more people get unemployed and, you know, there's a bigger energy price crisis. Um, and that may be a little bit of the bare downside risk to the fossil fuel trade. And that might be a little bit of a give and take that we're starting to see in the markets now, where when fossil fuels take a dip, nuclear comes to life. So if that dynamic starts, it'll be interesting to watch. That's a really interesting way to think about it, uh, Tony, because I, I don't I don't think we've kind of really all gotten our minds around that because it is kind of a, it has been kind of a nascent market that was, you know, a lot of a lot of people talking about it in the way you are from a fundamental point of view, from, from a trading point of view. By the way, Raul Duke on YouTube saying, what is the UK going to do this winter with energy bills of 80 percent? People are going to freeze and go hungry. I mean, that's why we said the stakes could not be higher. I mean, there is real concern about the fallout. It's not just the UK. It's across the continent, at least especially northern Europe. Um, but Tony, so, we, you know, for all that bullish sentiment, I'm just kind of curious because I know you watch these things from a from a trader perspective, too. Um, you know, we've had a big move. It's been a quick one. You said U URA. I think we looked up 10% in the last five days. Um, Cameco, which that ticker is CCJ, up 19% in five days. Nuclear is a long story. It takes a long time for these, you know, plans to get built, for the transition to happen, for the investment. I mean, it's it's CapEx heavy. Would you be worried about a move that quickly? I, I, you know, we always go back to uh, the conversation that Jared Dillian had on Twitter about too many a-holes being in the space. Um, you know, 
what do we need to understand about looking at that, especially if some people are not familiar with the sort of, you know, nuances of uranium? Well, you know, I'm, I'm first of all, I have to put forth my usual disclaimer is that uranium is not and has never been my trade. I sort of just try to keep up with it from a macro perspective as it relates to the trades that I'm in. I, I am bullish the sector for the long term. I do own some uranium risk um, in longer term trading accounts. I have no short term uranium risk on. So my contribution at least could be, you know, the stuff is uranium. It's nuclear. It is very headline driven. It is very volatile. As you said, it's a very long time to play out. So it seems like whenever bulls get the upper hand, bears have got plenty of time to wear them back down again and wear the prices back down. But if, if uh, the price of uranium remains bid, um, which should be helped by the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, taking a lot of physical uranium off the market, that's what the market needs for uranium to go bid so that it's worth it for more producers incentive-wise to pull it out of the ground. And then at that point, you know, maybe you get a much healthier and transparent uranium market that lends itself towards transition toward nuclear. Yeah. Right, because it doesn't seem like we're going to get the wind and power, uh, the power from wind and solar. It doesn't seem like we're going to be allowed to use the unbelievably efficient power of fossil fuels because we need to have high ESG scores until everybody starts um, rebelling against what's going on, and we're probably still a few stages from that, but not too many. Mm. Yeah. No, that that's a great point. By the way, for anyone who's thinking about so so as always, we always try to try to put time horizons. So I think it's really important what Tony just said. Longer term, this is really interesting. If you are a long term investor, then this is something that you want to dig in and learn more about. If you're short term, just be careful because there are going to be people playing this like they play other sort of momentum trades. Um, and so you have to be careful. You can yeah, you have to pay a, really close attention. It's a it's a many year storyline, and the price trades like ether. So you have to be really careful. Yeah, that's right. And that's why I that's that that was the I think catalyst for Jared's original exchange when he was just commenting on it being a really crowded trade. So yeah, I, I think we already did the uh too many assholes in the trade in back earlier this year in March yeah. when when it went bid and he made that very call at around the highs and the thing collapsed from there. And I think we're kind of just digging ourselves out of right um the first too many assholes trade. Right. Lessons are hard to learn, though. So if they start piling back in again, you just want to be aware of some of those things. Right. Because we, we, we've we seen this movie before. Oh. Um, you know, I, speaking of sort of people looking, clearly people are looking for opportunity, too. Right. So that's some of what you're seeing when you get a sector that's that's doing better. Um, we had Mark Ritchie on yesterday saying he's going to be watching biotechs, too. Right. They had a bit and performed pretty well, even when the market um, was encountering trouble. So he's sort of interested to see what happens if there's continued leadership there. One of the other uh, sectors that came up, Tony, for people who were sort of trying to find opportunity and put money to work in this sort of summer, you know, volatility uh, was cannabis. Some people were looking at cannabis. Now, I know that's a sector you watch, you know, really closely. I also know that it's been a source of pain for you and so many. Um, are Is that back on your our radar again? Are you are you playing in that area or looking at the, any opportunities there? I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to trade cannabis, but I don't want to discuss it from a personal point of view for the Real Vision viewers. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing where, you know, it may have just finally worn everyone out. You know, when I, I look at the chart and I see cannabis breaking above major moving averages that I would normally be salivating over, but I look at my cannabis P&L um, and it's big enough to crash a boat through this year uh, in the negative side. 
So that's why I'm, you know, I'm speaking from a position of bankruptcy in the sector um, and saying at this point, you know, when bulls have to throw in the towel, that's usually when the thing goes up. So I'm trying not to say anything here where I can jinx it. I'm rooting for my friend Todd Harrison. I'm rooting for Jason Wilde. I'm rooting for those stocks to come back to life. And, you know, that could be one of the opportunities that's presenting itself to dry powder right now. You know, yeah. finally, the bell may have rung and we may be close enough to, you know, legalization, you know, across the country and safe banking that, um, you know, hedge funds are more than willing to front run the mutual funds that will eventually be in the space. So yeah. if you can time that right, then you probably got a pretty monster trade on your hands. God knows how you time that right. Yeah, that's right. Because remember, what Tony's talking about is federally, legalizing it federally, which opens up the ability for them to use the banking system, which has been the sort of holy grail and the thing that has just been disappointing time and time again and held back that sector. By the way, just just want to loop back on something with uranium. If if some of you are don't know a lot about it, but are interested, want to learn more about nuclear and all of the things that go into that market, um, and it's 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 complicated. Uh, go on the platform and check out an interview I did with Nick Lawson, Ocean Wall. Um, it was a few months back. Fantastic, really, really in-depth conversation about everything you want to know about uranium. Highly, highly recommend it if you want to understand it. And if you're thinking about putting money into the sector, you need to understand it. So go check that out. Tony, um, we have a question from uh, from Bo. That is interesting. Um, a handful of the big tech names still have big valuations. Is it skewing the indexes? And if so, to what degree? I mean, the indexes are priced where the indexes are priced. You know, I, I, I don't know how to how to speak to a skew. Yeah. Um, I can speak to the fact that their performance has been horrible since yields started rising. And that, that that this is one of the major battles that's going on between portfolio managers this year is that portfolio managers are still willing to put the deflation trade back on mm -hmm. where technology performs. And so they've bought the dip in technology and they've sold the rally in energy and they're looking for, you know, the recession deflation situation to start panning out again like it has for the last 15 years. And, you know, we go back to the beginning of the sort of great rotation trade, Maggie, where I argue that it's different this time because there's never been an attack on commodity supply. So there are different ways of looking at this trade. I certainly see both sides of them and I'm more confident on the side that I'm on. Um, but it does seem that tech is definitely going to struggle if we are in a rising rate regime, if that does turn out to be true and the Fed can actually keep rising rates to fight inflation and finally get it back down. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And we've been talking to some people who, you know, would suggest when you still have those valuations sitting there, as you say, that are related to that deflationary Fed pivot or, you know, friendlier Fed, then maybe you haven't seen the capitulation yet. Um, I think that maybe what is what Bo might have been getting at, too. And so until they until they roll over, um, you know, you've you've got some risk to the downside. Uh, Mike has an interesting question. Could you recommend any ETFs which a retail investor could use to mimic your views? 
Do you have an ETF, Tony? No, I don't. I, I would like to start one one day. Um, but broadly speaking, for for what I see going on in the world and in the markets, I I think that IGE, the Natural Resources ETF, you know, really represents what I'm trying to portray in the markets as being a really, you know, a, a still valuable trade going into the next several years. Right. IGE is natural resources ETF. It's made up of a lot of energy stocks, metals and mining stocks, chemical companies, finished goods companies. And it seems like the things that would all take off in price if commodity inflation is persistent. So that's an angle that I like to play there. I'm, I'm bullish refiners at the moment, and they're a big part of IGE. The refiners are breaking out pretty seriously right now. Um, you know, the crack spread has remained elevated for a long period of time. They are starting to put up blockbuster earnings and the stocks are taking off. So, you know, if that's going to be leadership for the next several weeks, months or quarters, or at least in the race for leadership, then the natural resource, re natural resources ETF is a good one to own, in my opinion. Knock on wood, because that is one of the positions um, that I've had on the view matrix for over a year now, I think. Uh, Oliver is not Oliver. Sorry, excuse me. Um, William is asking Tony, when will you go short energy? Is there a scenario where you see yourself going short energy? I mean, yeah, I'm a trader, so you know, it's one day there'll be a short side of the energy trade. But right now, I feel like the risk is all to the upside. To be totally honest with you, um, that's just the way I'm reading it as a trader. When will I go short? Is like you know probably when we have new leadership that writes 60 executive orders on his first day in office that erases everything that the Biden administration has done with the swoop of a pen. Um, if that's possible, you know, it's going to do, it's going to do a lot of lasting damage to our country, you know, living through this crisis, you know, in terms of what it's going to do to the consumer, how it's going to change our energy consumption habits what it's going to do to inflation, what it's going to do to the price of food, what it's going to do to food consumption and farming. So, you know, this is a major, major issue to have on our hands. And I don't see it reversing until leadership changes course. And, you know, until until something more conservative takes over both sides of Congress and starts threatening the White House, I can't imagine we're going to get near that. Yeah. And we do have we do have midterms coming up to add on to all the other volatility. But something yeah. as drastic as that is probably not going to be a result of a midterm election. Ralph Humphrey is asking from the RV site, is Tony seeing anything interesting in metals other than precious metals? Yeah, uh, outside of precious metals. So in base metals, um, I think it's fair to watch that, you know, the most important thing, big picture wise, is that sort of everything bottomed when five year break evens and market based inflation expectations bottom. Right. So a lot of the base metals had massive pullbacks from their highs. They bottomed when inflation expectations bottomed and they are all really fundamentally set up for higher prices. Right. Whether that happens or not, I don't really know. But, you know, there is still you know, there is still a, a tight situation in copper and aluminum. There are um, a number of canceled warrants on the exchanges, which means that people are holding on to their supply. There is um, consistent upward pressure and buying from all parts of the world. So I think that if anything, I'm still long metal industrial metals and mining based on a sort of technical level. But as long as metals keep bouncing and making higher lows from that recent low that we saw when sort of, you know, recession fears got totally overblown. 
I'm okay with staying long them out of out of this hole. They've been on steep sale, um, and I think it's worth trading from the long side here because there's still upside risk in any kind of economic recovery, supply disruption, you know, po political uh, stance changes. So I feel like the risk is still to the upside of metals and mining as well. Mm. So, Tony, we started the conversation asking if there's opportunity, and it sounds like you're still bullish your your you know your base case, which was that we are in a structurally inflationary environment and that there you know commodities are here to stay. Uh, you're bullish, still bullish oil, still bullish some of the metals, refiners, you know the the basically the IGE that you ETF that you talked about. But I do hear some caution in your voice too. Um, oh yeah, and, well. It sounds yeah. like you think we're in going to be in for, you know, you're going to keep things tight that we're we're in for a pretty choppy period here. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm a technician at heart. And today is a really bad slash alarming slash do something close on, you know, the, on the S&P. You know, we've broken below. It looks like we're going to close below 4K here. I don't have another support level till 3750. I was just long only stocks for the entire summer and I put out my first short in home builders literally at the highs as it grazed its 200 day moving average just based on the chart. Mm. Um, and then everything else fell apart. Um, I'm adding some technology shorts to my pad. Um, I think I want to be there. I think it's worth, I think sort of uh, the next time down that the juice will be worth the squeeze and that when we fall again this time that there might be a significant slide towards the lows again. And that's kind of based on the fact that it seems to me that portfolio managers were happy to buy the tech dip the last time we saw it, you know, looking for rates to turn back lower. Now that they didn't get it, tech is going to be cheap again. So that's still the trade that I'm putting on. I do expect a little more downside in the S&P. I would not be shocked of a test of the June low at all. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you're really keeping an eye on risk and sizing risk. What about cash? I mean, is that does that look like the best opportunity right now just because it is going to be so tough? Cash, did you say, Maggie? Yeah, we can't make money trading cash, Maggie. There's no profits in sitting in cash. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's always an option. You know, taking chips off the table is always a good feeling. You know, slowly buying gold and this seemingly endless dip on the way down doesn't even seem like a dumb decision to me. If you want to just sort of sock chips away for five years out and 10 years out that you hope will be there. I think that those are good opportunities for the long term. Um, so I just I'm looking at it right now, more of that sort of uh, the opportunities in the market right now lend themselves to the type of trading that we saw on that chic meme that went around last week. Do you remember the guy? that was using max leverage and max bidding. I mean, you know, these are the opportunities that are alive and, and well right now in the U.S. and the commodity markets. You know, it's like playing blackjack against a dealer that breaks all the time. So I'm going to keep, you know, sitting right at this table until the, the dealers finally go away. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been having this conversation, Tony. I can't I can't remember how long. Um, and, and you've been right. So, you know, when it's been working. It's been volatile, but so far so good, Maggie. We'll see, you know, the, there'll be a day when I'm out of the trade and onto the next one. But right now I'm still battling like a, a like a uh, natural born energy bull that I am. <laughs> That's great. Tony, thank you so much. So great to catch up with you. If you can enjoy the, the waning days of summer here before oh, we all I have sure to really will. buckle back in. I'm going right to the beach as soon as we hit the office. I had a feeling match. beach and boat. I knew you would. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy, be safe. And for all of you, thanks for tuning in. If you have some time, 
Stick around because in one hour, 5.30 Eastern, Real Vision co-founder Raul Powell is going to do an Ask Me Anything right here on the YouTube channel. So get your questions ready, whatever you're asking about, including the nuclear NFT. Oliver, I didn't get to your question. Bring it on. Uh, it's sure to be an amazing discussion. Ash is going to moderate. And Andreas Daniel Larson will be back on the Daily Briefing tomorrow with Imran Locke. So take care and good luck out there, everyone. Thanks, Maggie. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.